We're in a series called Renegade Joy, and this is part three. And we've been talking about the difference between happiness and joy. There's a big difference. Happiness, it's based on things that happen on the outside. If you're having a good day, if things seem to be going and all rolling in your direction, then, hey, it's a good day, and I'm happy. But the moment things start to not go my way or something bad happens, then all of a sudden, happiness is out the window. Because happiness is based on that which is external. But joy, this renegade joy that we're talking about, is it flies in the face of logic. It flies in the face of emotion. And it's this ability to have this inner peace even when things aren't going our way. Even when things are in crisis, even when things seem to be falling apart, if we have joy, we can still possess that inner peace no matter what happens to us. You know, when we when we get ready to do messages, we kind of pray through and talk through, this is what we're going to be talking about. And this particular series is coming all from the book of Philippians. There's four weeks. It's based on each of the four chapters. I hope you took the challenge a couple of weeks ago and you read through the book of Philippians. If you haven't, please do. There's some great stuff in there about joy. But it seems like every time we start to do that, it, whatever we're talking about seems to just start hap- reasons to, to deal with it start happening. If you're part of our e-news, you saw my story this week about I was at this retreat center this past week in Louisiana, and I hear this boom in the middle of the night. I think it's somebody literally hunting alligators. That's really what I thought, and I thought it was a shotgun that went off. But when I go out the next morning, I discover that it's a tree, huge tree limb on my rental car. And immediately I think, why did I not purchase that extra insurance, you know, that you can get at the counter? And, and just for a moment when I was there, I was like, my week is ruined. How can I retreat and focus on God and just ask God to speak to me this week when my rental car is bashed and I'm probably going to have to pay for it out of my pocket? And then I remembered, oh yeah, I'm teaching about joy. So I have this opportunity. So I just, I made myself forget it. I moved the car out of my line of sight, really, I did. And it it was so bad, it's like when, when people saw me driving back to the airport, they were like, why are they still driving that car? I'd, I still drove it back. Turns out it was all covered, so it was a good thing. No deductible or anything. But I didn't know that, and so I had to make a decision. Am I going to have joy? Am I going to just kind of forget this? And I did. Can we have joy in life when things like that continually come our way? Much worse than a tree limb falling on our car. What about when you get the notice that, hey, you don't have a job here anymore? Or your spouse comes in and says, look, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of this. I'm done. I'm moving out. Or you constantly bicker about little things. Or a friend hurts you. Or you make a stupid decision. Or you're confused about the future. How do you have joy in the middle of all that? Well, Paul tells us throughout the book of Philippians. There are some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand. Take one. I'm going to be reading primarily from pages 815, 816 in that Bible, but all the verses will also be up on the screen. We give these out every week at LifePoint. We want everybody to have 
access to a Bible, so let the ushers know. Take one, it's yours to keep. Just a quick review, this book of Philippians was written by a guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul. It's written from a prison cell. He, would, he had been arrested for teaching in the name of Jesus after he was told not to. So the context is, this guy is writing to us, to these people in this church in a town called Philippi, in the Roman Empire, that, that he actually planted. And he's telling them, you need to have joy. In spite of anything, no matter what, have joy. So he's not telling us to have joy from this position of comfort. He's telling us from a position of unfortunate events happening in his life. And he's saying, I want you to have joy always. And the way he gets through it, and you can kind of see him work through or recount how he worked through the choice to have joy. He says, what has happened to me has served to advance the message of Christ. But see, most people, when they get in the middle of something very difficult, they don't ask the question, what? They ask the question, why? God, why? This has to happen to me. didn't happen to her. didn't happen to him. Why me? Well, Paul didn't ask that question. He says, you know what's happening to me has a godly significance in increasing the influence of the message of Christ on people. So he didn't ask the question why. He said, what? So even when things are bad in our lives, joy can still be there. This whole series is wrapped around this one verse, or this one section, in Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 9. It's Paul's prayer that says, My prayer is that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Paul is saying, I want you to experience more love, I want you to have more knowledge, and I want you to have insight and discernment. And I'm going to pray, he says, for you to have that. So this entire book is saying to us how we can have that inner peace and joy no matter what's going on in our life. See, the way it's supposed to work is people are outside the family of God, I was outside the family of God one day, and if you're a follower of Christ, one day you were, or maybe you are right now. But the way it's supposed to work is we step into the family of God, and we make a decision to follow Christ, and then this joy through the Holy Spirit is supposed to come into our lives and help us deal with things that we couldn't deal with before, with guilt, with our past, with current crisis, whatever's going on in your life, the Holy Spirit is supposed to be in your life if you're a Christ follower to help you deal with that. And if that's true, why are there so many people who would raise their hand when we would say, who's a Christian or who follows Christ, but yet they live without joy? They live looking like they've been sucking on a lemon. You ever met anybody like that? I mean, I've seen people like that at church. I, I can remember the first time I got up in front of a crowd of people. It was probably about this size. The pastor at the church I was going to and said, hey, I think, I think you, you could probably get, you need to get up and, and talk. I'm really me? And I'm standing up there in this, this big old wooden, what are those things called? Pulpit. Yeah, whatever. If you've been to, you're not, you've never been to church, you're like, oh, what? Never heard that word before. It's like just a big wooden podium. So I'm standing there 
behind this podium, really nervous, every word that I'm going to say written down. And, and I think, okay, if I tell some jokes, you know, like Erica tried, you know, at the beginning there. <laughs> like, if I tell some jokes, if I tell some jokes, uh, people will laugh. And if they laugh, they'll like me, and, and then I'll do great. And they'll tell me, they'll pat me on the back and say, great job. So I tell some jokes. And, and there's this one man who, who was a leader in that church, and he was really old then. I, he had to be 80 years old. And he sat there with this, you know, really stern look on his face. And I was pulling out some really good stuff. Because I was like, I'm going to make this guy smile, make him laugh. He did not crack a smile. Everybody else was laughing. It was loud laughter. And he's sitting there just looking at me. Afterwards, he comes up. All these people say, oh, that was a great job for you first time. I don't know if it really was a great job or not, but they really felt for me. And they, they, they tried to encourage me. And, and this guy comes up to me and he said, son, the church is no place for jokes. And I was like, all right, make a note of that. <laughs> No smiling in church. And, and this, another, and he was a follower of Christ thinking, you know, church, no place for jokes. What he was saying is, you don't laugh, it's church. You're supposed to look stern and unhappy. We're just toiling on. We're just barely making it. You know, that's what he was thinking. This, this lady right before Cinda and I got married, we were engaged. And, and, and she's a spiritually strong woman, so I thought. And I was telling her about, I'm getting married, and I love this girl. She's all, everything I ever dreamed of for a wife, and we're getting married. And here's her advice to me. Donnie, at best, marriage is bearable. <laughs> and I was like, I'm getting ready to spend the rest of my life, and it's just going to be bearable? That is not what I had in mind was bearable. And I think, you follow Christ, and you can't. Now, she had been really mistreated, but but, you know, but... Come on, let the rest of us have some joy. So, I'm like, why are people who have stepped into the family of God and they are filled with the Holy Spirit, why are those people, us, why, why do we have trouble when a tree falls on our car? Or somebody mistreats us? Why, why is it that we don't continually realize, you know what? I've got joy no matter what happens. This week we're focusing on chapter 3. Because if you're, if you're one of those people who, who are over here in the family of God and you're like, ah, I'm just not feeling that joy thing. I know what you mean about marriage being bearable and I haven't, you know, I haven't enjoyed life in a long time. Here's what Paul would say. Chapter 3, verse 1. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it's a safeguard for you. He's getting ready to remind these people to be joyful. And he's going to give them some principles that he's given them before, but he's saying, I'm going to write it again. Because this repetition and you remembering this, it's going to be a safeguard because things are going to happen to steal your joy. But you need to, you need to understand if you have this safeguard and you Remind yourself, I'm filled with God's Holy Spirit, and no matter what happens, I choose to have joy. So he does a little repetition with them. We all need repetition, right? How many of you guys, when you first got married, the first time you put the towels where they were supposed to be, your socks where they were supposed to be, and you took the trash out on Wednesday morning? How many? And you never had to be reminded. Anybody? Who who has a teenager in here? 
teenagers. The first time, do they, do they get their room like clean the first time and you never have to remind them? No, they don't. It's our job. We've got to remind them and tell them over and over again. We all need that reminder. And that's what Paul is saying. I, I want to remind you of some things again. And it will be a safeguard to keep your joy. So he goes down beginning uh, chapter 2 in Philippians. And he starts to tell them some things that will help them keep their joy taking notes write these things down because they'll help we need to we're going to keep our joy we need to resist religion think what religion why would i resist religion i thought we're supposed to be religious if you talk to the apostle paul about religion he would say leave it behind come come into a relationship with christ the people that paul was talking to were part of a church that he planted then What happened when Paul would plant a church, there would be Jewish people and there would be Gentiles. Unless you were born Jewish in this audience, you're a Gentile. So there would be Jewish people, heritage of heritage, and then there would be Gentiles, which is the rest, everybody else. And they would come together and they would be in this church. And then what would happen, Paul would leave and he would move on to plant another church. And there would be these Judaizers come in and what they would say is, You know, it's great that you've accepted Christ, but if you really want to accept Christ, then you've also got to do these other things. And for them, it had to do with all these Jewish rules and regulations and practices and holidays and special, all this kind of stuff. And they would say, a good follower of Christ also must be a good Jew, and here are things you have to do. That's religion. And here's what Paul calls those religious leaders. He says, watch out for those dogs. Those men who do evil. Those mutilators of the flesh. And he's talking about the the physical act of circumcision. Because what they would say is, Oh, you follow Christ. Now you've got to go back and you've got to obey this Jewish ritual. And Paul's like, No, no, no. That is not how it works. It's not about some outward physical sign. It's about this relationship with Christ. And Paul goes on to say, For it is we who are the circumcision. Talking about people who follow Christ. We who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence, because Paul was such a good Jew. So what, what he's saying is, these people are telling you, you have to do things among them. He's telling the males, you have to be circumcised. And he's saying, that's what they're, they're using to determine in or out. If you do this outward physical thing, then you're in. If you don't, then you're out. Religious people do that today. They'll come up with all kinds of rules, like if you do this list, then you're in. If you do this on this frequency, then you're in. And if you don't, then you're out. And Paul is saying, you, it's about your heart. It's about your heart being changed. That's what's really going to bring you joy, is what's in your heart. Not focusing on these outward appearances of good and devotion. That, that's not going to work. Religion really messes people up. Here's, here's religion's problem. Religion, it over-promises pro, over and under-delivers. Any religion has all of these, if you do these things, then this is your result. If you do this, then this is your result. But what happens is those things that are, people are told to do, they don't change their lives. They don't change their hearts. So if you're following Oprah or, or, or whatever religion she, you know, whatever the flavor of the month is, whatever, and, and 
and you're not finding that joy, that it's because that stuff's not ever, it's never been designed to help you find joy. It's just rules and rituals. So religion, it overpromises. Oh, you're going you're gonna to experience all this, and then it underdelivers because it doesn't offer you any explanation on how to deal with this thing called life. Any lasting explanation. Overpromises, underdelivers. Religion, here's the big one with religion. It leads to spiritual consumerism. Meism, right? Oh, if, I, if I'm into religion, then it better be everything I want. And I'm going to search till I find the one I like, the one I want, whether that's a religion or a church. And, if I, and, and it's meism, where if me don't like it, me's going to go. And that spills over into relationships, to jobs, when people say, it's all about me. Now, there's times to leave and move and change churches. I, all, there's times for all that, but I'm talking about a, a driving force of, well, if it's not what I like, then I'm not going to do it. If it's not what I want to hear, what I want to do, what I want to be, then I'm not going to do it. That's where religion leads. And the big one that religion does, religion causes guilt. Because nobody can live up. They couldn't back then. They couldn't live up to all of these rules. That's why Jesus came. Because if they could have lived up to all the rules, then why would Jesus have to come? Why would you need a Savior if you could do it without Him? So religion causes people to feel guilty. I bet that old man back in that church where I spoke for the very first time was laughing on the inside because it was funny. And I bet that had he allowed himself to let go and laugh, he would have felt guilty. He would have had to say whatever prayer, whatever, oh God, I laughed in church, please forgive me. There would have been something that caused guilt because that's where religion leads because religion just shows you what you can't do. And relationship with Christ shows you what you can do. Paul talked about following rules in another book he wrote to a church he planted, a town called Colossae. It's in a book called Colossians. And listen to what he says. Why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as do not, or don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about the things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. See, the fact that you know you're not supposed to do something doesn't help in restraining your desire to do that, right? When I was a teenage boy, I grew up almost right next door to my grandparents, and my grandfather was a pretty strict guy, and he... When, when I you know, became of age, whatever that was, young teenager, he decided to tell me all these things I was not supposed to do. Some of the things I didn't even know what they were, and then it sounded really interesting. When he told me these things, it was like, wow, I never thought of that. That sounds like fun. So these rules, they didn't make me go, oh, no, no, no I want to do that. They made me go, hey, that sounds like a lot of fun. Thanks, Pap. So, it didn't help me other than tempt me. And that's what rules do. Rules show us where the boundaries are, and that's okay. But if your identity is just in that and not in a relationship, then all those rules are going to do is to, to bring up desire in you. That's what Paul says. In another place in Scripture, Paul says, you know what? The law is what arouses my 
desire to disobey. Resist the urge to be religious because following Christ and being filled with His Spirit is not about rules. Christianity is not something that has a scoreboard like, well, I've, I've, I've done, gone through this ritual, I've been baptized, or I prayed this prayer this certain way, or, or I go to church this, this many times. That's not what following Christ is all about, not those rules. It's about accepting a relationship with Him, which in turn should motivate you to do the things He asks you to do. And it can't go the other way around. If I'm going to safeguard against my joy, I've got to, sometimes in life, you've got to refocus your ambition. You've got this idea that you're going to do one thing and then you realize either I'm no good at that and I just thought I was, or I just can't, the opportunities aren't lining up, I don't have enough money, I don't, whatever, whatever your ambition is, sometimes in life, you've got to refocus that. Paul dealt with that. Paul had these huge ambitions to plant more churches than he planted. In fact, the one in Philippi was a very strategic location, a strategic city for church planting because if he could get there in the Roman Empire, then he knew, well, if we could get a lot of growing, healthy churches here, then it's just going to go out and go around the whole world. And it eventually did, but he had this much grander, faster plan than took place. But he finds himself in jail. He thinks it's probably when he's going to be executed. It may have been, but eventually he was executed. And his life ended early, and he had to refocus his ambitions. And you can hear him working through that as he writes from this prison cell. He says, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. He's saying everything, my ambitions, everything's a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing of that relationship with Christ. So sometimes, if we're going to keep our joy, we we have to refocus our ambitions because things don't always go the way we want. some of you are going to want to be something, and, and it, this is encouraging, isn't it? You're going to want it so bad, it's not going to happen. So you have to learn how to refocus ambitions like Paul did. If I'm going to keep my joy, not only do I have to do that, I need to, I need to reject complacency in my life. Here's, here's, here's Webster's definition of complacency. It's self-satisfaction, especially when accompanied by unawareness of actual dangers or deficiencies. And Paul is saying, don't get complacent. Here's how he says it. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of for me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. He's saying, in one sense I'm there, but in another sense I need to keep going. I don't consider myself as having arrived. And the moment I become complacent in my relationship with God is the moment I start to drift away from him. And here's how you can tell if you're starting to be complacent. If you use these two words, three words, it's good enough. That, that's good enough. Look at things in your life, especially from a spiritual perspective. Oh, that's good enough. If that's your attitude at work, you'll never advance. 
If that's your attitude in your marriage, it'll never be what it could be. If that's your attitude in your spiritual life, you'll never be all that God called you to be. Ah, that's good enough. I come to church once a week. I hear 30 minutes of of teaching every week. That's good enough. I don't need more. That's good enough. What if we said that's good enough when... When we're, when we're getting ready to do a message, when we're getting ready to do what we do here on Sunday morning. What if Joel said, you know, 10 or 12 songs, that's enough. I don't need to learn anymore. It's good enough. We'll do the same ones over and over again. We'll get to know them really. But no, he doesn't say that. What he does is he's constantly searching for new ways that music and lyrics communicate hope and the message of Christ. Not saying, oh, that's good enough. Would it be good enough? Yeah, I mean, it would still be doing what God called us to do. It would be worshiping. Every part of our life, people just say, oh, it's good enough. See, good enough leads you to complacency. And occasionally, there's a temptation, even in what, what we do, to say, well, that's good enough. Good enough is never good enough. Paul is saying, I'm not there yet. Oh, I know. I've been to small group enough. I, I've, I've given enough. I've, I've, I've read my Bible enough. I've gone to church enough. It, it, no. That leads to complacency. And complacency will steal your joy 100% of the time. The last safeguard is perhaps the one that's most, most likely to steal our joy. And that's Here's what we need to do to safeguard. We need to remember this. Remember to forget. See, there's a lot of people that live without joy because they have such good memories. Here's what Paul said about that in chapter 3, starting in the second part of verse 13. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And Paul, when he says, forgetting what is behind, listen to his past. This is a guy that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, planted more churches than anybody else. Probably outside of Christ, the single figure of influence in the Christian faith. And Paul could look back at his past and he could remember what you can read about in Acts chapter 7 of a young man named Stephen who was boldly proclaiming the message of Christ and they killed him because they didn't like what he said and Paul was there. Paul was applauding. Paul was giving approval to the death of this young man who was just following what God told him to do and sharing the message of Christ and Paul approved of it. In fact, Paul began to persecute the church as a younger man drag people off, have them put in prison, split families up. That's his past. Anybody done anything worse than that and you're willing to admit it? Of course, Probably not. Probably not in this room. We could say, oh, I would, man, it was way worse. Here's how many people. I, and, you know, you, uh, Paul did some really bad stuff. So when he says forgetting what is behind, he had a past. He had something back there that, that he had to choose to walk away and forget. 
And when I stop looking at the past and begin looking to the future, then I can experience true joy. See, the evil one loves to remind us of our past and of our mistakes and all the times we messed up and all that stuff that we've done that was yesterday or the day before or last year or last decade or when we were teenagers or whatever. And he loves to remind us of what we were. But God wants us to live in what we are. And if you can't just release and forget and forgive yourself, then you'll never experience all that God has for you unless you develop a bad memory. Because that's what Paul just, he would have had to think, I just got to forget everything I've done. Paul had to forget his failures and so do we. See, Paul lived in a real prison. He was chained to a Roman guard 24-7. But some of us are still living in the prison of yesterday's mistakes and sins when the Bible says that we're free. We've stepped into the family of God. We are free. We need to forget. Just forget. Remember to forget that because it'll steal your joy. Another thing we need to forget, not just our failures, but we need to forget our successes. We can't live in yesterday's successes either, patting ourselves on the back for something great that we did because that was yesterday, that was before. Now, let's live now in what we are and what Christ has done in us. Enjoy your success when you have it, but soon forget it and move on. True joy is found when we rest in the knowledge that everything pales in comparison to having a relationship with Christ. I mean, those are some safeguards that if we could... Remember those. Every time joy, joy stealer comes into our life or something happens that makes us start to lose our joy, remember that's a safeguard. I got to remember I, I can't be complacent. I can't, when it comes to my past, I can't let that dictate who I am today. Paul would say it like this I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. If you remember those safeguards, you'll have joy no matter what happens. Not that it's easy, but you can do it. I want to do something today that we do sometimes, and that's just give you an opportunity to come and say, I would like for someone to pray for me. Because I know how life is, right? I mean, I've lived 43 years. I've figured it out, a little few things out, not everything. And things get thrown our way all the time. Maybe just today, you got a curveball. And you need somebody just to say, let me pray for you. Well, the band's coming up right now. Guys, come on up. And they're going to sing a song. And, and when Joel starts, everybody stand up. And at any time, you feel like, you know, I just want someone to pray for me. Maybe you're that person that's still standing outside the family of God. And you're thinking, okay, I want to get inside the family of God. You can do that. We can guide you through that decision and what all that means and what a response looks like. But if you just need somebody to pray for you, as Joel is singing, the band is playing, listen to the words, just walk out, go over into theater two that's right on the other side of this wall, and there'll be people there to talk with you and to pray with you and help you find that joy 
that God promises every person. Let's pray. God, please give us the joy that your scriptures tell us that we can have. Pray for the person that's sitting there thinking, I really need to go ask for prayers because I just, I don't have any joy. I can't forgive myself. I can't forget the past. God, give them the courage to come and pray and, and feel forgiven. God, may no one leave here today living in the prison of their past. I pray this in Jesus' name.